The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talk Star Radio Network. My producer tonight at Master Control, the home of the Talk Star Radio Network in Titusville, Florida, is my good friend and full-time producer, Melanie. Hey, Mel, nice working with you and to you and your family, Mel. Happy Easter. And at Exxon TV, my chat room moderator is Rob from Scarborough, another good friend of mine. And Rob, to you, Newers, a very happy Easter. To all our affiliates who are now joining us here on the Talk Star Radio Network, welcome, everyone. On the east coast of the United States and Canada, it is now Friday, April the 10th, Good Friday. So to one and all, very happy Easter. My guest this hour, Exxon Nation, is Michelle Goldberg. And we're going to be talking to Michelle about her book entitled... The Means of Reproduction, Sex, Power, and the Future of the World. Now, in this groundbreaking work of investigative journalism by the author of the New York Times bestseller, Kingdom Coming, Michelle Goldberg exposes a global battle over women's reproduction rights and the and that pits reformers against an international alliance of fundamentalists with profound consequences for both individual lives and worldwide development. Women's rights are often treated as mere appendages to great questions of war, peace, poverty, and economic development. But with networks of social tra- traditionalists, feminists, and government bureaucrats struggling to remake gender and childbearing norms worldwide, the battle to control sex and reproduction has become a high-stakes enterprise, determining the fate of nations and individuals alike. In a work of... Incisive cultural analysis and deep reporting, Michelle Goldberg shows how the emancipation of women has become the key to human rights struggle over the 21st century. The means of reproduction travels through four continents examining issues like excuse me, uh, abortion, female circumcision, and Asia's missing girls to show how the battle over women's bodies has been globalized and how the United States has, depending who is in power, alternatively advanced and impeded women's rights worldwide. In reporting that encompasses both dramatic human stories and ratified, uh, rarefied realms of international policymaking, Michelle um, eludicates the economic, demographic, and health consequences of women's oppression, which affect more than simply half the world's population. Joining me now is Michelle Goldberg. And Michelle, welcome to the X-Zone. Michelle, are you there? Hello. Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the X Zone. Hey, I can just barely hear you. 
Okay, we're going to uh, try and rectify that over the uh, commercial break. Okay, I can hear you now. Okay, we're going to do, we have to take a two-minute commercial break. Please stand by, Michelle. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking to our very special guest this hour, Michelle Goldberg. She's the author of The Means of Reproduction, Sex, Power, and the Future of the World. My name is Rob McConnell, and this is the Exxon on the Talk Star Radio Network, one eight seven seven five two eight eight two five five. It's toll-free throughout the U.S., Canada, Alaska, and Hawaii. Email exxon at talkstarradio.com. On MSN Messenger, talkstarradio at hotmail.com. And our websites, www.xzoneradio.com and xzonetv.com. To get your local, I should say, to get your complimentary copy of the X Chronicles newspaper, visit our new website at www.xchronicles-newspaper.com. We'll be back on the other side of this two-minute break. Don't go away. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine like hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining room can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you're visiting, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic Felsmere, or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, old Florida cuisine at its best. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Are you interested in the paranormal, ghosts, UFOs, or psychic phenomenon? Join me, Tim Bartley, co-host of Talking to Spirits with Lightworkers Tim and Justina, coming mid-January 2017 to the XZBN. We will channel spirits live and talk to them, revealing all kinds of amazing information. Spiritual attachments will be found and removed on the show, and so much more. To find out when you can listen to Talking to Spirits with Lightworkers Tim and Justina, visit www.xzbn.net for listeners on both sides of the veil.
Michelle Goldberg is our special guest. She's the author of The Means of Reproduction, Sex, Power, and the Future of the World. Michelle, thanks very much for joining us tonight. And uh, what was your inspiration for writing this book? Um, well, you know, I wrote a book that came out in 2006 about religious fundamentalism in American politics. And one of the things that I started to see was that some of the same both the same kind of people and players and organizations, but also the same trends and issues were actually um, having really profound impacts um, on a global scale and in certain ways having even more effect on the lives of women around the world than they were on people here in the United States. All right. Now, uh, how long did it take you to do the research for your book, and what are some of the most staggering things that you found out during the course of your research? Let's see, it was about two years altogether that I spent researching the book, um, you know, and during that time I traveled all over the world because mm-hmm. this book is about the global battle over women's rights and both the way that both kind of women's rights and the kind of fundamentalist opposition to them have become internationalized. I would say that one of the most interesting things I found out was that we're so used to in the United States thinking about um, family planning and abortion and things like that as, as kind of these consummate culture war issues that pit um, Democrats against Republicans. Mm-hmm. But what I found out is that the international family planning movement, or you know, the kind of mo- the, the movement to bring contraception and even safe abortion to the to the world, really began among. Um, these kind of hardcore, staunch cold warriors, Democrats and Republicans, in the 50s and 60s. And it was really these kind of almost Dr. Strange Lovian types who were convinced at the time that overpopulation was going to create such havoc that it was going to lead countries all over the world to, um, that it was going to create such misery that it was going to drive people to communist revolution. And so in order to fight communism, the United States had to kind of get overpopulation under control. And that was kind of the genesis of what was really, you know, the biggest probably social engineering project in um, in human history, you know, a project to kind of change people all, all over the world, to change people's ideas about childbearing from you know, kind of a fatalistic acceptance of whatever comes your way to, you know, trying to institute the two-child norm really all over the planet. Um, And at one point, you even had the head of population at USAID, this guy named Ray Ravenhold, and we're talking now in the late 60s and early 70s, he teamed up with with a man named Harvey Carman, who was this countercultural illegal abortionist Mm -hmm. um, working out of California, and he actually had the Battelle Corporation. Well, Harvey Carmen had created something in his kitchen. It was a device that could be used, hand-operated, manual, didn't need anesthesia or electricity, and could be used to perform abortions. And the U.S. government actually had this engineered for mass production and shipped it by the tens of thousands all over the world. Why? Again, because we, because the United States was, on the one hand, very, very concerned about overpopulation, was kind of desperate to see, you know, believe that kind of, you know, national security and, you know, the future of kind of capitalism and the American way of life depended on controlling what was then, you know, a kind of real panic about what people were calling the population bomb. 
And then at the same time, Ray Ravenholt, who was kind of a roguish figure, um, you know, kind of a, in many cases, a, someone who was um, very dismissive of a lot of political, you know, of, of, peop mm -hmm. of people's sensitivities. He could be boorish, but he also, you know, was a, a very brilliant epidemiologist, and he saw then as now that unsafe abortion, when you start looking at family planning all over the world and you start looking at kind of women's health over all over the world, you just, you can't help but see what a tremendous toll unsafe abortion takes. Um, you know, one of the, right now, one of the statistics I quote in my book is that 70,000 women die every year all around the world from unsafe abortion. 24 million women have been, have been rendered, rendered infertile. So, you know, Ray Ravenholt saw this as both kind of a humanitarian imperative and also, again, a population control imperative. And what's crazy to think now is that this, in the, in, this is in now in 1973 when he first unveiled this device. He really thought with the coming of Roe versus Wade that this debate was coming to an end in the United States as opposed to just beginning. Wait. From what I've gathered, and from the research that, that, that I've seen presented by other guests here, that there, there, there definitely is a problem with the overpopulation of the earth, and it's in many of the countries where there are food pro, there is a lack of food, a lack of water, that the birth control seems to be totally out of whack. Well, this is some, and you know, for a long time after, okay, there was a there was a huge amount of concern in the seventies about overpopulation, and what happened is a lot of people made predictions that were so outlandish that it almost kind of discredited yeah. the whole notion of overpopulation. You know, you had Paul Ehrlich saying there was going to be imminent mass famine, there was going to be this kind of Malthusian disaster. People spoke in these very apocalyptic terms, and it led people to support a lot of really coercive programs, you know, and the kind of apotheosis of those didn't weren't really about the United States. It was first India during the emergency, and, and now China, which continues to have mm -hmm. this you know, horribly abusive, abusive one-child program. So for a long time, after there was kind of a backlash and people stopped talking about overpopulation. Um, and then a couple of things happened. Part, you had the rise of the religious right in the United States, and with that, you, the kind of politicization of this issue. So where there used to be a bipartisan consensus, now the Republican Party was, you know, kind of completely opposed to global family planning, and it was seen as this attempt to, you know, kind of spread, wick, you know, the wickedness of, of feminism and liberalism and libertinism all over the planet. And so the United States, um, you know, this program that the United States had, had started was really kind of retarded, and especially in the last eight years, there's been a huge, um, you know, birth control supplies are actually less available in many places in now and, and within the last eight years than they were, you know, two decades ago, which is just insane. And I think people are starting to wake up to the fact that even though, yes, there was no catastrophe in, in the 70s, and part of the reason there was no overpopulation catastrophe was because people, it was, you know, one of the kind of rare international emergencies that everybody actually did act on, and everybody actually did, you know, kind of develop these programs and really mobilize a response. But even now, once again, you know, Af Africa is going to add a billion people in the next 40 years. And there is 
no prospect, really. It's it's very difficult to see, um, you know, where the resources to feed all of them, you know, to provide fresh water for all these people. And certainly, you know, people in the West are consuming far more than their fair share. You know, so it's not just about poor women having too many babies. But I think the one message of my book is not, you know, that we need to be coercing people. It's, it's quite the opposite. It's that when you provide women with the tools and the freedom to make their own choices about their reproduction, all these other problems fall into place. You know, women women um, are having often more children than they say they want. They, if you give women the choice, um, it's going to solve. It's going to solve a lot of the. It's going to solve many of the more pressing problems facing humankind. All right, give them what choice? If you give women the choice about, well, a couple of things. I mean, it's not just about you know how many children to have or you know when to have children. There was, there's been a lot of social science research about, the, for example, the, um, the impact of girls' education on developing economies. You know, Lawrence Summers, who um, is certainly, you know, not known as, as a big, as a crusading feminist, but when he was at the World Bank, he would talk about how there was no greater, um, there was no greater investment that countries could make in their futures than girls' education. It, play, it pays dividends in all kinds of ways, um, not just in terms of their own earning power, but in terms of the health and welfare of their children, the number of children that they have, um, the resources you know allocated to their children. When women are able to work outside the home, they have more control over the family budget. They're more likely to spend money on, you know, their children's welfare. They're more likely to take them to the doctor. It has all of these kind of, you know, second and third order effects. And so when you give women control over their own kind of sexual and reproductive lives, you make you end up with a, you end up with a society where families are smaller, healthier, um, and better educated, you know, and that's kind of at the core of so many of the problems facing the world from, you know, environmental destruction to global poverty to you know, political instability. But I thought that women were in charge of their own bodies. And, you know, I, I understand in China there's the one-child uh, uh, program. And you know what? I agree with it. I, I really do because China is, China is overpopulated as it is, you know, and, and uh, food and water is are going to be causes of war in the future. What I would say about the one-child policy in China is a couple of things. I mean, first of all, when you said you thought women were in control of their own bodies, mm-hmm. I mean, in most in most of the world, they're they're absolutely not. I mean, not only you know. And, and you can kind of go around the world. Let's like start. All right, for let, let's let's do this when we come back from our news break. Michelle okay. uh, Goldberg is our special guest. www.michellegoldberg.net or www.kingdomcoming.com. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. 
For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Michelle Goldberg is my guest this hour, www.kingdomcoming.com and www.michellegoldberg.net. Michelle, before we went to the commercial break, we were just starting to talk about the one-child policy in... Yeah, uh, and you know... Yeah. I understand why you would say that, you know, something has to be done, population can't continue to grow at, you know, kind of an unchecked rate. Mm -hmm. But, well, I would say that a couple of things. I mean, first of all, just from a human rights perspective, just as I think it's, you know, completely unacceptable when countries, for example, Romania said, you know, they wanted more people and so they, you know, banned all abortion and birth control and tried to force women to have more children. You mean like the Catholic Church did? Well, certainly. I mean, the Catholic yeah. Church has slightly different has slightly different justifications. It's not so much that they want more and more people as much as they want a kind of a cold papal authority, and they have you know certain hangups um, about non procreative sex. That's a different thing. What I'm, but my my point about China is that first of all, you have real human rights abuses, and you know I think that whenever you start kind of making utilitarian arguments for taking away people's individual human rights, you're on a real slippery slope to something very, very ugly. But but beyond that, there are, if you are truly concerned about overpopulation, there are other more humane ways to address it. When you give women women who have education and who have job opportunities and who have kind of opportunities to fill themselves in other ways almost inevitably choose to have smaller families, usually two children or fewer. And, you know, you're seeing in many countries in Asia, you know, that don't, that actually want to get their populations up, you know, countries like Singapore or South Korea, you have, you know, kind of population growth that's even less than China. And it's it's come because of development and change in gender roles as opposed to because of the government, um, as opposed to government coercion. The other problem that you're going to see in China, as well as in India, for slightly different reasons, is, you know, you've changed family sizes without changing the status of women. So people are having smaller families, but they still are absolutely desperate for sons. So you have, you know, this kind of epidemic of sex-selective abortion, which means that you're going to have a generation um, coming up that is really, really skewed towards boys. There's going to be far more men than there are women. And that's a really dangerous thing. That's a, you know, when you have lots of unattached, unmarriageable, undomesticated men, that is like a recipe for social unrest. Now, why would you say undomesticated? 
Well, no, I mean, when men can't get married and start families, they tend to find, you know, kind of other ways to express, you know, often kind of military ways to express their manhood. Tell me, how many children do you have? I don't have any. How come? Um, that's a good question. You know, I still, well, for one thing, I still have quite a few years in which to make that decision. Mm-hmm. But I also, to be honest, I feel like the, um, if, if we were in France, or if we were in a country like France or Sweden, which gave you some assistance and didn't make being a mother kind of so economically um, burdensome, you know, I would be more inclined to take that risk. Right now in this economy and as a writer, mm-hmm. it would be, you know, massively disruptive. So it's something I'm waiting a couple of years okay. for. Okay, and I can, I can respect that and I understand it. But if you're looking at a country like China, who is looking at a massive problem in the very near future, what is wrong with the government saying, hey, wait a minute, whoa, 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 you want to have a family? One. What's wrong with that? How is that a, how is that a violation of human rights? How is it not a violation of human rights no, when you're talking about... No, I, mean, I can't understand how that is a violation of human rights. If the government is telling you, you know, we're, we're overpopulated as it is. We've got to deck our homes. Our homes are small because we can't, we can't expand. What caused the problem in the first place, and why was the, what was the motivation behind the government saying, look, we've got a problem, one child per family? I, to me, any, it is kind of obvious that any kind of reproductive coercion, just as I think forced pregnancy is a violation of human rights, forced abortion or forced sterilization. Now, we're just talking, I'm sorry, but we're talking about your personal beliefs here. Well, actually, we're not just talking about my personal beliefs. I mean, under international law, there is, um, you know, international law has increased. One of the things I write about is that international law increasingly recognizes that women, you know, as it says, I think, in one of the main human rights declarations, have the right to determine the number and spacing of their children. And one of the kind of big developments that I write about in this book is that numerous countries where women have been denied um, therapeutic abortions, abortions that they needed for health reasons, have successfully, you know, sought redress before international human rights courts. Now, what I'm saying is that if forced pregnancy is a violation of international law and if international law recognizes reproductive rights, a forced abortion or forced sterilization is also a violation of reproductive rights. And if you're worried, mm-hmm. and, and if you're worried about overpopulation, there are other ways that with that don't involve government coercion to bring down population rates. All right, is is China breaking any law? You know, you know that would be a question for the for Amnesty International. I believe that Yes, I believe that forced abortions and forced sterilizations are a violation. Wait a minute. We're, all right, I, we're not talking about forced we're talking about the fact that China is saying one child per family. Is there an international law being broken here? There are the language of the, I think it's the 1968 Declaration on Human Rights, which, again, is not an international law, but, you know, international law is a very amorphous 
thing that's kind of always interpreted. Right, let me let me, let me rephrase the question to try and get a simple yes or no. As the United Nations sees the intern uh, the 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 fact that China is saying to its population you can only have one child according to international law recognized by the United Nations and its members is China breaking a law in as much as the United Nations has not said that it is i would say that's the fault of the united nations and no, 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 no. Hold on here. Hold I, I would let, like to let, say no 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 let's get back to my question this isn't a hockey game where people can just skate around. Is a law that is on the books in the United Nations being broken by China saying, no, you cannot have more than one child? No. So what's can the I problem? Say, can I, can so I what is the, sorry, oh. sure, but what's the problem? Well, first of all, the United Nations is working to try to get China to move away from its one-child policy. I mean, that's what the United Nations Population Fund is doing in China. I mean, part of the irony of this is that the United States, under the Bush administration, mm-hmm. you know, accused the UNFPA, accused the United Nations of being in cahoots with the one-child policy, of, of you know, kind of collaborating with, with forced abortion and, and the like. In reality, what the UNFPA has been doing in China has been trying to move them from coercive to voluntary policies. Well, so it is the policy of the United Nations to try to change what's going on in China. But China has the right, I believe, the ultimate right to say, we don't have to. This is our country. This is our law. Do you think that the United States or uh, you know countries like the United States have the right to, say, ban all abortion and you know demand that women have as many children as possible? Well, we've got a president in power now who is uh, pro-abortion. Do we not? Who's pro-choice? I don't think he's pro-abortion. All right. So, do you, are you do you, are you a pro-choicer? Yes. Okay. So you don't think there's anything morally wrong with committing an abortion? I think that um, obviously, I, I think that there is obviously, you know. Obviously, a fetus is something that has value, and obviously it's a potential life, and it's morally complicated. But what I also think is that, first of all, banning abortion actually turns out to not do that much to prevent abortion. It just drives it underground. And I see it kind of forced pregnancy, like forced abortion, to be something that's morally indefensible. All right. Uh, What about these families? who have child after child after child after child just so that they can get a bigger and bigger and bigger welfare check. Do you think that's fair on society? Um, I'm not sure how much that actually exists, especially given the kind of incredibly stringent limits that have been placed on welfare by the welfare reform bill that was signed by President Clinton. I mean, I, I don't know, that seems to me to be a bit of a straw man. I'm not aware of that being... a any kind of an issue, but don't don't you think that all all the sides of the of the um, of the topic should be fully investigated before, you know? For example, I, I know here in Canada that the more children you have, the bigger your welfare check is, and we have welfare families that exist for generation after generation after generation. Do you think that well, do you think that society should 
you know, should pay the bill for somebody who's too damn lazy to go out and get a job. Their job is having kids, and they, you know, do you think that's fair? I think that that is, I, I actually, I don't believe you. That, I, I would say that I have not seen any evidence, certainly not in the United States, where... Well, I'm, not where talking, I'm not talking about the United States. I'm talking about Canada right now. So how much of a problem do you actually think that is in Canada? Quite a, quite a significant problem when it comes to the social welfare rules. Honestly, if, um, first of all, I think that... I can't imagine that pe that that is a very kind of comfortable life that many people are actually choosing, and I would assume that if there were kind of that the way to break such a cycle is to offer people other options and you know both carrots and sticks. However, you know I I don't know enough about kind of social welfare in Canada to speak to that. I know that in the United States. What often happened was there was a kind of myth of a welfare queen who had, you know, many, many children and was driving around in a Cadillac and buying T-bones with her food stamps. And that myth was used to kind of gut our social welfare policies, but it didn't really correspond to the reality of, of people's lives in this country. You know, people, there is, at least in the United States, there's nobody living large on welfare. So how do we rectify the overpopulation problem that is going to be facing this planet, the food shortage that is going to be facing this planet, and the water shortage that is going to be facing this planet? How do you see us solving these problems? Well, again, when I said before, you, you know, you said that you think women do have control over their over their bodies and over their reproductive lives, and mm -hmm. and around the world, that's simply not true. You know, you have women being pulled out of school, married off at thirteen. You know, you're ha having your first child at fifteen, having certainly, you know, no say in whether or not they use contraception, even if they have access to it, which they often don't. Um, you know, no ability to force their husbands to use condoms. Etc. And also, you know, kind of no other role in the world. Inevitably, in country after country, when girls get educated and when they go to work, they get married later, they have fewer children, um, and those children are better cared for. You know, they used to say in the past, you know, development is the mm -hmm. best contraceptive. So girls' education and women's work opportunities are the single best way both the kind of most fair and humane and the most effective way to drastically curb um, population growth. Now, the countries that you're talking about, are they countries that are, uh, are they third world countries that you're talking about? Yes, mostly. So doesn't that, doesn't that tell you something right there? What? That it's a state of mind. It's a state. It's 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 the way the country is. I think that we should educate both the male and the female, and the government of those countries. I think the United Nations should be looking at those countries because they're the countries with the problems. Well, which I, I'm not sure. I'm not quite sure what you mean. I mean, the United Nations is involved in. Well, if these countries, both, if, these, if, the, if these countries are 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 allowing. 14, 15-year-old uh, children to get married and have a child right away, and they're not doing this or they're not doing that. There's no family planning. There's there's no... Uh, and these are third-world countries. That's where the problem lies. 
So what is being done to better educate these third world countries into getting up to snuff so that the rest of the world will not be suffering when overpopulation happens? We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, right here on the Talk Star Radio Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi, I'm Larry Lawson, host of Paranormal Stakeout. With over 36 years in law enforcement, I have learned a few things. The most important is the proper gathering and preservation of evidence is vital to putting the bad guy behind bars. It's no different in the world of paranormal investigation, whether it's the search for the afterlife, cryptozoology, UFOs, and extraterrestrials. How we gather the evidence, preserve that evidence, and present it to a jury of our peers will make the ultimate difference in proving the existence of worlds and entities that are beyond our imagination. Join me, Larry Lawson, every week on Paranormal Stakeout when, along with my guests, we'll take a journey to prove with indisputable evidence what man has struggled to believe for centuries. Go to xzbn.net for the broadcast schedule and check me out at paranormalstakeout.com. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world. Michelle Goldberg is our special guest, www.michellegoldberg.net, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G dot net and www.kingdomcoming.com. Michelle, when we look at the situation in, in countries like Africa. Well, Africa's not a country. Well, what is it? It's a continent. All right. The individual country, uh, countries within Africa, the majority of them are third, you know, are third nations. And they're popping out kids like, like Hershey, like M&Ms, for goodness sake. They don't have enough food, there's rampant disease, there's not enough water, and yet you've got all these children that are being born, God bless them. Don't you think that somebody should take responsibility and say, enough is enough? Um, 
I think that that's the wrong way to think about it. I think that people, first of all, one reason that people have very, very large families in places that are very, very poor, besides the fact that, you know, besides not having access to mm -hmm. contraception, is that when you have a chance of a lot of your children dying, you had your bets by having a big family. And in places where, you know, kind of the economy is still based on agriculture, children are... Um, Resources, You know, children are kind of, that's, that's how you kind of make ends meet economically. So you have to see other kinds of development. And again, I'm going to keep harping on this, other kinds of education opportunities for women before they start making um, other decisions, you know, decisions that will benefit them and that will benefit us all. You know, you, you, you need a license to get married. You need a license to drive a car. You need a license to own a bar to get a liquor license. I think we should have licenses to become parents. Because you you, you should get educated to become a parent. It's, it, it's when you tax society, society has the right to say, hey, wait a minute, whoa. And I really think that we have to do things to prevent ourselves from going down the sewage. And if it if it is like we were talking about China, where China said, no, 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 one, because of the population growth, because they want to make sure that those who are alive and have been born don't suffer and do without. So you know what? I, I kind of agree with him on that. But I do you know, want to thank you very much for joining us tonight. And um, continued success, www.michellegoldberg.net and kingdomcoming.com. I, I, I don't, you know, basically, if, if I understood what she was saying in the last couple of minutes was, people in these third nation countries are just popping out these kids in order so that a few survive and because there are going to be ultimate deaths with their children. God bless them. What about the child? What Doesn't the child have any rights? The child doesn't ask to be born, and, and yet, God bless them. They're the ones that do all the suffering. I know God said, uh, Jesus said, Suffer little children to come unto me, for thine is the kingdom of heaven. Holy cow, I just sounded like Pastor Harry there, didn't I? But anyway, it's true. The children suffer. The loss of one child in my book is way too much. When we come back from the news at the top of the hour, Richard Lawrence is going to be talking to us about how to unlock our our uh, psychic powers as the Exxon continues right here live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. <laughs> 